Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm very excited because not only do I have two authors, thought leaders, and researchers in the field of digital transformation and the future of work, but also two colleagues and friends of mine. I have with me Ann Phillips, who is a researcher, author, and management consultant at Deloitte Consulting, and also Professor Jerry Kane. Professor Kane is the faculty director of the Edmund H. J. Shea Junior Center for Entrepreneurship and a professor of information systems at the Carroll School of Management at my alma mater, Boston College. Today, I'm excited because we're going to talk about two topics that I know Ann and Jerry have spent a lot of time thinking, writing, and spending a lot of time in their life thinking about, and things that I think are really important as well, particularly with MBA students and alum who are either entering the workforce to lead organizations or thinking about how technology is impacting their future career. And those two topics are digital transformation and as well as the future of work. Professor Kane and Ann both are co-authors of The Technology Fallacy, How People Are the Real Key to Digital Transformation, as well as co-authors on the upcoming book, The Transformation Myth, Leading Your Organization During Uncertain Times. Professor Kane, as well as Ann, thank you so much for being here. Ann, I'm going to start with you because I'm looking at you first. Would you mind just giving a brief background of, of who you are and, and, and what you research and write about? Yeah, thanks, Al. So I am, as Jerry likes to say, a recovering management consultant. I started off my career doing that with Deloitte, implementing a lot of technology solutions for our clients. And then I transitioned about 10 years ago over to do research, researching basically how organizations are navigating interesting, changing, disruptive times. And that started with a lot of research around digital transformation, but also looking forward to, to how companies have to shift and change and how people have to shift and change and how the work that we do is going to shift and change going forward. Thanks for that. Uh, Professor Kane, how about yourself? Just a brief intro and background. Yeah, so I've been at Boston College since 2006. My research started focusing on social media because you know, it was rising at the time. And so I spent about 10 years of studying how social media was changing the way people communicated and interacted and collaborated. And then it broadened from there to really looking at how digital technologies are changing organizations more broadly. And that's sort of when Ann and I got connected to start working on this research. And we've been working together for about seven years now and have a very productive working relationship and have learned a lot of interesting things together. That's right. And for the listeners out there, I should note in full transparency, I have had the privilege to work with both of them on some of this research. And just to date ourselves here, when when I first was working with both Jerry and Ann, we were studying what we called social business. Clearly, that has aged a little bit. And clearly, um, we are in a different time. But the thread that still remains is that technology was and continues to impact business and really fundamentally the way we live and the way we work. So on that notion, would love to maybe just get started. And I'll start with you on again. So your first book that you both co-authored along with your colleagues is, is called The Technology Fallacy. Love to know 
What is the technology fallacy and what were some of the key findings from the book? It's funny because we actually don't explain the technology fallacy in the book itself. We came up with the title after we we had written everything. But the technology fallacy is this idea that just because technologies are causing a lot of the disruption that we see in the marketplace and, and toppling whole markets and threatening a lot of organizations doesn't necessarily mean that so the solution to preventing that or the best defense is to just simply acquire a bunch of technology. So as it says in, our, in the subtitle, it's really about how people are the key to transformation. And, and technology is absolutely an important component, but there tends to be a lot more emphasis put on that than there should be and less emphasis put on the important factors of changing the way people think, the way people work, and the way organizations work. And it, it's interesting because we didn't come into this research expecting that. We came into this research just really trying to figure out how companies are navigating all of this. And what became apparent was that the barriers and challenges that they hit were really organizational and people-oriented. That's great. And I want to turn it over to Jerry. And just jumping off what Ann said, she mentioned that a lot of the barriers that uh, you were finding from your research were organizational and people-oriented. Could you maybe talk about one or two of those barriers and what and what and how that kind of translated? Yeah. So we actually asked an open-ended question of what was the biggest thing getting in the way and respondents indicated that we were our own worst enemy. It was an inflexible culture. It was fear of change. It was inability to experiment. It was all sorts of things. What was particularly interesting that surprised me a little bit is I expected this resistance to change to come from senior leadership because they were in their positions of power. They knew how they'd had an experience in one type of organization. They expected that to continue. And in fact, what, what we saw is there was considerable re resistance amongst middle management as well, because the types of changes that digital transformation requires these middle managers to be much more actively engaged in an organization strategy and making you know, important decisions. And that's not something they had necessarily been trained to do or were comfortable with. And so some of it's about empowering that middle management to be effective leaders in the organization along with the senior leadership. Just to, I think that's a really great point. And just to follow up on that, and I'll give this one back to Ann. It's funny that you bring up middle managers because that is exactly, I think, where a lot of my audience kind of fits in terms of folks who are you know, graduating from business school with an MBA and re-entering the workforce and being in that middle management or the folks who are already there. And in some cases, maybe on some form of a transformation journey within their company, would just love to know from you, what do you think that means for these people in terms of from the research that you found in terms of the resistance that um, you saw from them? And, and how do they either get past that or maybe not fall into that trap? Which one do you want? Is it for me? Either. Okay. So it's really about a, it's a mindset issue, I think, both for the individuals and for the organization, that we really talk a lot about growth mindset in the book and this ability, this belief that if you work hard, you can develop the skills you're going to need to compete. And so that's what it is, these middle managers really rethinking and re-understanding what their role is as a much more strategic leader, as well as about the senior leadership creating the environment for that to take place. And so I think it's that what we often get asked is, is, is digital transformation top down or bottom up? And the answer is it's both. It's not going to succeed unless you have senior leadership really creating the environment for these middle managers to thrive in this new way. In fact, I read uh, recently the book Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal, and he talks about a lot of the same stuff. He, he uses a gardening metaphor of leadership, and I really think that's a powerful one for what we're dealing with is that the leaders 
can't direct, you can't make a plant grow. You can only create the environment for which growth to happen. And yet, even in the right environment, if these middle managers don't step up and, and embrace their new roles and the new challenges and opportunities that come with them, organizations are really going to struggle because there's not time to ask for permission to do everything. We just have to have an idea on the strategic objectives and, and act. Sure. Sure. You published uh, The Technology Fallacy, and I actually, I have my copy of my signed book right here. Mm -hmm. uh, you published it a couple of years ago, but clearly uh, you were prescient in the sense that this is something that's been going on for a while. But uh, over the past year, certainly we've all, as it's been well documented, COVID-19 has, COVID has brought on a lot of change. And just in many ways, I think the saying now is that COVID in many ways was the accelerant of digital transformation. Obviously, because of what you've written in your book and from many other places, it was digital transformation was here, but COVID certainly shined a light on that. And I know you both um, wrote an article, I've written a couple articles just about the impact of digital tr transformation as a result of COVID. And so maybe on, I'll, I'll give this one to you. What were some of the findings based off of some of the additional research you did or, or what you've just seen in terms of speaking with organizations with respect to digital transformation during COVID? Yeah, I, I to your point, Al, it COVID absolutely accelerated digital transformation. And we had this concept from the technology fallacy called the knowing doing gap. People knew that they needed to, to transform, but there was a gap between what they knew and what was actually happening in the organizations and, and everything was delayed. And what COVID did was basically shrink that gap. And it basically got people to move in, in fundamental ways. They had to shift the way they were working. They had to shift the way that they were serving customers. And a lot of that depended on technology solutions in order to make it happen right? In order to avoid contact, in order to be socially distanced, in order to enable um, remote work, in order to enable, you know, remote services for customers um, and contactless services for customers, we had to rely on digital technologies. So a lot of organizations were forced to do that. And we spoke to a number of different executives who basically said they've seen about three years of transformation in, in, in three months or, or two years of transformation in two months and a large amount of transformation in a very short period of time. And I'm sure you've seen all the memes that talk about multiple choice. Who Who is leading digital transformation in your organization? Is it the CIO? Is it the CEO? Or is it COVID? And in a lot of places, that's exactly what it took. And it really underscored the theme of our technology fallacy book, which is that it was people all this time because the technology was there in many cases. And, and many organizations were able to quickly pivot over to work remotely or to serve customers differently. And what was interesting was that it, it took that will, it took that being able to, being forced into that position for companies to make the change. And they were able to do it in a way that they'd never experienced before. I think the thing that you that struck me about what you said there, and even going back to the meme, is like the, the force, right? There was no choice, right? The COVID-19 led the digital transformation because there you had no other option. I am curious from your perspective, based off of either innovators that you've seen, in the absence of not being forced, in the absence of not having a global pandemic, what do you think is going to empower or give leaders the permission to really um, drive this change, to lead it forward? Because to the point you made and the point Jerry's made, the technology has and will always be there. So what is it that is going to be needed to really get people outside of a force of nature to really actually tra change and transform? I think the answer here is more about what people are going to do come fall of 2021. And I think mm -hmm. companies are facing two choices. Um, the first choice is 
to try and go back to the way things were. Okay, we've got vaccinated. We can go back to the office. Phew, we survived. Now let's get back to the way things were. I think those companies are going to struggle. The other choice is, okay, we have learned a ton over the last year. I'm One thing that really surprised me about writing the new book is the number of people who we interviewed that saw it as a real opportunity. One leader said, this is the best uh, year of my career because I've been able to do things I've never been able to get away with before. And my hope is if we, if COVID served as this wake-up call that we can do this stuff, that in September 2021, companies aren't going to look back and say, oh, phew, now we can go back. They're going to do this critical analysis of what did we like better about COVID times. Many companies saw increase in performance. Many people like working from home in certain circumstances, in certain roles, and are more productive. And then what about pre-COVID did we really like? And how do we combine those things to create a much stronger organization going forward? And I think the lesson, the message that we're trying to send in this new book, if you don't answer this question, your competition will. And I guarantee there are companies who are using this. They've seen, it's like, we can do this. We can be agile. We can be scalable. We can be fast. And we can do digital. And let's keep doing it. And I think that's the real challenge that companies are going to take. I actually think the biggest disruption is yet ahead. I think the next three to five years of business is going to be some of the most exciting that we'll see in any of our lifetimes. Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see which companies, to Jerry's point, which companies use this as an opportunity to transform themselves more fundamentally, not just about their digital platforms, but really use it as an opportunity to change the way that they work and the way that they serve their customers going forward versus which ones are going to say, phew, okay, that's yep. great. Now we can go back to business as usual. Sure. Yeah. I liken it to the, once you let the, once you let the cat out of the bag, can you really let, can you really put it all the way back in? And to your point, and there, there may be some things that you may want to return to, but I, I just think for some of the things that we've done, I think it will, for the same reason why it was so hard to change in the first place, it will still be so hard to, after okay. a prolonged period of time, go back. Given your audience, I think uh, it's also going to be incumbent upon us in business schools to how do we teach differently sure. for this new environment? I have a little bit of fear that because business schools aren't going to teach going forward, we're going to be part of the problem. And so how do we update our own thinking, not just by our educational offerings and who we educate, but what is our message going to be? Are we going to say, we go back are we going to keep our old way of thinking and, and still teach that? Or are we going to drive, use it to un update our thinking and our curriculum to equip people for this new world? Sorry, I just, given you're the MBA insider, I felt the need to mention that. Of course. On, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we ended the technology fallacy talking about there's no going back to Kansas. Uh, so we use that mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz analogy. Yeah. And I think that we're in that kind of a situation, right? Everyone's seen Oz now. Who wants to go back to Kansas? There are certainly going to be some people who are scared of it and, and want to go back. But I think to your point, it's changed forever. But the yeah. question is, how much more will it change and what will it look like? And there's a ton of potential the question is, how do we harness that? How do we change it in our workplaces? And how do we change it, to Jerry's point, in our MBA programs and in our education systems, even K through 12? Sure. On, I want to give this question to you because I know it's something you think a lot about. One of the things that I've thought a lot about um, with respect to COVID and transformation is around culture, right? And the organizational culture, whether that's of a company or whether that's of an institution or school for that matter. 
We're just curious from what the research that you've done or companies that you've talked to, what are your some of your observations on company culture as a result of all the change and transformation that's happened during COVID-19? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. I think on one hand, you can easily say company culture has struggled a bit, right? Because everyone or lots of organizations have been forced to be remote. And that's always difficult and challenging in, in terms of driving a company culture. But at the same time, I think that there are some new behaviors and practices that will fundamentally change, hopefully, a lot of organizations going forward in terms of there's a little bit more flattening of hierarchy because you don't have everyone there and you have to move um, faster and you can't just operate in that command and control kind of way. So you have to trust the people who are out there in the field and trust the people on your team. And so I think that some of that is going to remain and hopefully fundamentally change the way people work and the culture of those organizations going forward. It used to be very much a traditional culture of let's keep an eye on everyone. Let's make sure that we know exactly what people are doing. And when people have had to move quickly, it wasn't possible to do that. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I also, I just think about as we were talking before. So one of the, I think one of the most acute ways in which MBA students have felt some of this culture and some of this change has been anyone who is a recent alum or a student who's onboarded into an internship or a full-time role. And to your points of you're not going into the office, getting your badge, getting your laptop and and setting up shop at your desk. Uh, you're getting that shipped to you. You're getting your virtual orientation and you're getting, you're getting onboarded in a remote world. And yeah. um, that- And you miss a lot of the culture by doing that, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of missed opportunity. And one of the things that we found in the research was that's one of the areas that was hit in, in terms of people struggling to, to really onboard effectively during these times. And on that notion, if you're a manager, flipping the switch for a second, if you're a manager, how do you manage that culture in a time like this? Like, how do you find ways to try to to try to do something, right? You have the constraints, but how do you flip that? Yeah. I don't think it's impossible. It's certainly sure. possible. I think it has to be done in a thoughtful, intentional way and in a different way. So knowing that you don't have the office and all of the setup of the office and the vibe of everyone walking by and the water cooler opportunities and the, the serendipity serendipitously bumping into people kind of opportunity. How do you actually create that? And I think it requires managers to keep in touch with their teams in a very different way. And effective managers that I've spoken to during this time did more, first of all, communication increases, right? So in order to keep your team together, there are lots of leaders that we spoke to that said that, hey, our executive leaders have been having more calls and we've been having reg more regular communication with leadership. And I think at the middle manager level, that needs to happen as well in terms of staying in touch with your people, checking in to make sure you understand how they're doing, especially new team members. I've actually had to onboard two new team members onto my team during this pandemic. And it really required a lot of um, attention as well as a lot of support from the rest of the team to make those new folks a part of the group and feel onboarded properly. Yeah. Jerry, I want to go back to you for a second because I know you talk with a lot of students. And so one of the topics that always comes up, I think, in a job search for MBAs is around company culture, right? And simply speaking in the interview process, what is the company culture like? What does it stand for, et cetera? I'm curious, particularly with respect to COVID right now, what are the types of conversations you're having with students when you advise them? How should how you're going to always evaluate a company through the traditional kind of priorities that you have. But with respect to COVID, how should you now look at a company culture or an organization? Because I have to feel like there is some impact there. 
Yeah, and I wish I had a great answer for you because we're all figuring this out. We dealt with it back in last spring, but that one was just, we had no idea. We were just trying to keep sure. our heads above water. Now it's like, how do we go about this? And I would say the, the key thing would be just look at the companies that are trying to do something. They might not get the right thing, but if, if they are emphasizing the importance of culture in some form or fashion, then that's sort of a, an easy way to maybe weed out some candidates. And we, we saw some companies going to great lengths. My favorite example was Humana, the health insurer. They set up last spring and summer pop-up offices. So they brought in food trucks, they brought in restroom cars, they set up Wi-Fi so their employees could come and have face-to-face -face meetings in a safer environment. A signal like that is something like, okay, these people care about creating this sort of co company culture. Those that just say, uh, another one was WPP. So they really doubled down and set up a really fabulous internship program last summer. And what was really interesting about that is they were able to expand the nature of their internship program by a factor of 10 because it was scalable when it was online. And they ramped, I, I don't remember what the stats are, they ramped up uh, the ability or the, ramped up the diversity candidates significantly because their reach was so much bigger. And so they said, wow, we may never want to go back to just the old way because we've gotten to reach so many more and so many different people because of this new format. And that to me is, you know, those sorts of things are signals to me, just seeing what companies are doing to try and keep the culture going. I love both of those examples. And it's funny, the question I ask you is often a question I get, but for the context of business schools, right? And to your point, you know what, because it's the same thing. And what I've come across and what, or what I've encouraged people, I think, do mirror some of the things that you've talked about in terms of the findings in your book. So number one, growth, this idea of the growth mindset, right? Are they willing to champion people who are trying new things and, and stretching themselves, right? Is there that culture of what if you want to call it innovation or just ideation and really empowering people to do it? The other thing I talk about, which I think mirrors some of the things you're suggesting are how quickly are they able to respond to something? Maybe not get it right on the first time, but just the willingness to have the, the mindset to respond, but also the agility in order to be able to respond. That's another thing that I often think about. And then also, I think to many of the other things in terms of how visible uh, is leadership communicating around what's going on. And I think at least on, on what I saw from my end is that particularly in the spring and into the summer, there were a number of MBA programs where the leadership was in constant communication with their students and prospective students. Even sometimes if it was saying, we're not exactly sure what's happening right now, but here's what we can tell you that we do know, and here's what we still you know, don't know. But those are the types of things that I've been encouraging people to think about from the context of, of why you might want to, the culture of a business school that might be a good fit for navigating change. Because, and I, I think one of the other things that I've seen, and I'm curious if you've seen this as well, it's just this idea that like COVID was a, was a thing that, that happened and sprung upon us, but this idea that change is never going to happen again, or that it's going to slow down is, is fault is a fault is a false thing. Right? It's a myth. Uh, says yeah, our new book. It is. And I definitely want to talk about that in a second. So switching topics and moving on, what I wanted to talk more about was this idea of the future of work and really just around what that is and what that means, uh, particularly for employees. And I think this is actually a really important topic because the benefit of MBA students right now is they literally have two years to prepare for the future of work in whatever form it is. And I think that just gives lots of ample opportunities to learn and to grow and to be prepared in ways in which people who are working right now maybe don't have the luxury of doing. One of the things you talked about earlier and instructs me from the book was 
this idea of the knowing and doing gap. And, and I would just love to know, could you talk a little bit more about this? And what impact does that really have on, on people and managers within an organization? And An, I'll start with you. So knowing doing gap in, in terms of the impact on, on people and managers, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting because that was something that was we definitely saw in organizations in doing research pre-COVID. I, I think that 2020 kind of shook that up a little bit. And when we think about people and managers, there's this idea of this is the way that it's always been done. And there's this complacency. There's this, we understand that this is tradition. We understand this is normally how business is done. And I think a lot of that is being thrown up in the air. And to your point, change is going to continue to happen. So how do we change going forward? And this goes back to the concept of how do you continue to develop a growth mindset? And that's at the fundamental heart, I think, of the future of work, to be successful in the future of work. How do we take that concept? And the biggest skill that you can have is the ability to learn, right? And the ability to learn new things. So how do you take that concept and say, I'm going to really up my skill in terms of learning and unlearning in terms of unlearning the old ways of doing things, unlearning things that I thought I knew, but actually have been proven might be different or might change now in the future. I, I really like what you said about unlearning because I think it's an important um, topic. And I am just riffing on this here. But one of the things that when I think about an MBA education, right, you go and you get this transformative experience, you get all this knowledge. And then what you want to do is you want to go out into the workforce and apply it immediately, right? Why? Because you've you spent this time learning and also you put a pretty big investment in it and you want to get the return. But this paradox, if you will, of this idea of unlearning matched with what you just learned. I I don't I'm just in my head, I'm I, I could see someone be struggling with that in some ways, right? Because you just have invested all this uh, time uh, into this thing. You've learned these skills and you want to apply them right away. And maybe you did for a little bit, but then all of a sudden, uh, maybe you get a new role or maybe uh, your charter changes and you you have to push aside or think differently about what you've been taught. I, I could just see that being really difficult. Yeah. I, I don't think it comes naturally to people. I, I think it's hard, right? Because to your point, you spend most of your lives and traditionally we have spent what the first 20 years of our lives trying to learn. And then how do you how do you go back and reconsider some of the things that you learned that might not be true or might no longer be true because of the changing world that we live in? So I think that is hard. It's hard for companies too. And as we look at companies that we interviewed for the technology fallacy, we see that the companies that have been around a long time are struggling because they have gotten to where they are based on past success. And so there's this misconception that the past way of doing things that got them all the success that they have today is going to continue to take them forward. And that's just not necessarily true because of our changing world. So they at the organizational level will have to start to unlearn too. So how do you really approach things with kind of a beginner's mindset? Okay, I think I have some experience that might be applicable to this, but let me continue to see. Let me continue to see what makes this different, what makes this unique. Sure. Jerry, I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on this, particularly as an educator. Yeah. So some of it's about how you are taught to use the knowledge uh, that you gain in, in an, a formal educational setting. So when I teach my students, I'm very explicit about the fact that since I teach digital technologies, anything I teach them in the classroom will be obsolete in five years. And so what I try to do is give them a foundation. And so keep learning. I've, I've set them up to keep learning about that. And also how to use these digital tools to I think we're in the golden age of learning. My son has spent the lockdown picking up Python, picking up how to do AI. He's in seventh grade. And just because 
he hadn't had anything else to do. And all these resources are out there and are available. And so if what I try to do is create lifelong learners and just say, we're here to set you up, but it's what you do with it. And it's not just going about out and applying. It's about how do I keep learning so I can keep figuring out, adapting my knowledge base to a changing environment. In the new book, we talk a lot about scenario planning. And we say, you're not going to get the scenario planning, but by going through that process, you're going to be able to adapt that. It's going to be easier to adapt that existing plan to a new environment than to come up with one from scratch. Likewise, with your knowledge, when you have a base of MBA knowledge, if you still have that learning mindset, it's going to be easier to adapt and critically analyze that situation so you can respond in an appropriate way than trying to figure it out from scratch. Um, I think that's, so I, I was wondering about it. I, 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 as you guys were talking about the knowing doing gap, I wonder if we've shifted to this doing knowing gap where mm, as it's yeah. important to act and then learn from it. And sure. that's what experimentation does. I think that's a good point because to, I think about ad, like agile product development or just that whole process of you, you build an MVP, you learn from it. And then you've done the next iteration, what you've done, both the good and the bad is baked. Uh, those learnings are baked into what you do next, but you have to, what is it? The, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step, right? Like you have to take the action before and, and iterate off of it before you can figure out what you need to, what you need to do next. But I think that's a good tee up because I do want to give you a chance to talk about your upcoming book. So again, for the uh, listeners out there, uh, the book is titled The Transformation Myth, Leading Your Organization During Uncertain Times. I think we still have a couple months before it's out, but maybe on if you want to start, would you mind just telling us a little bit about what was the impetus for this book and and what are some of maybe the high level themes so far? So this is funny because it started off as a sequel to the technology fallacy. And Jerry was more intimately involved in, in, in the unfolding of that at the beginning than I was. But then as all of this started coming through, I think, Jerry, you, we submitted a proposal, right? And sometime in March to MIT Press for a follow-up book. And then the editors at MIT Press basically said, hey, this was in March of 2020. They said, hey, all the stuff that is happening right now, should we think about maybe addressing some of this? So it, it, it really changed what we thought that we were going to write about. And the thing is, we learned from 2020 that a lot of the things in the technology fallacy were absolutely relevant. And people were starting to understand and see a lot of the concepts that we came up with. But we wanted to figure out, okay, the technology fallacy addressed this concept of digital disruption, right? This persistent kind of what we would call chronic disruption. But how do we compare that then to what we're all experiencing or what we all went through in 2020 that happened very suddenly and that was severe and that affected everybody and required immediate quick action? So we actually call that the distinction between acute and chronic disruption in our book. And this new book, The Transformation Myth, explores that a little bit more. So how do you prepare yourself for acute disruption? And, and as Jerry mentioned, we talk a little bit about scenario planning. It is still based on growth mindset, but how do you prepare yourself? And for the first time, we talk a little bit about some fundamental technologies that you actually need in order to have the capabilities that will allow you to be ready for acute disruptions. 
That that sounds great and timely, and I'm sure it was a nice uh, surprise to get a note back from MIT Press to just like everything else in COVID, accelerate accelerate what you already were going to do. But that's really great and exciting, Jerry. Anything else you want to add to that, or anything that that An didn't get a chance to speak to that you want to? Yeah, it was great and exciting until they give you a like a late October timeframe for this phenomena that you don't know how. We, through this whole process, I was terrified that. Yeah. Were we writing the right thing? How do you research something while you're living through it? And I think we largely have positioned it right. So we positioned it to be released in the, the September 2021 market. And by December, I thought we had a pretty good idea of what that was going to... Disruption can always still happen um, between now and then, which is the theme of our book. So even if we get it wrong, we're right. But So it, it's a sense of humility. But I tell you, it was a very rewarding process because being able to speak with some of these leaders that were leading with such courage and empathy and boldness through this environment, whether it be companies that were going gangbusters, Olo, a restaurant ordering platform that just went public and valued at $3.6 billion. Part of that success is because they have been able to scale up and basically support the restaurant industry through this. And we got to talk to their CEO as they were as he was doing this. Or the flip side with Hilton and Marriott. How does anybody lead a company when you see a 90% drop off in demand overnight? And, and what do you do? And those are just two. There's, if you go through, we're actually releasing them, the interviews as, as independent profiles in the Wall Street Journal, thanks to Deloitte. And so those are available now. And it's just, it was a very inspiring, I think we're in the golden age of corporate leadership. In an age of where political leadership did not do a great job in this, I, I think corporate leadership really stepped up and it was inspiring to, to be talking with those people as they were living and leading through it. Yeah, that was one of the most, I think, rewarding parts of doing this research was just hearing the amazing stories of leaders that have really shown during all of this. To Jerry's point, the leaders that were leaving or leading organizations that were seeing everything scale up, as well as those that were facing really challenging times of completely scaling down. Yeah, I think that because of some of the work that you've done, we've started to see some of those profiles, if you will, of some of the things that were done or decisions that were made. But I have a feeling once we get to a point where we're more through this, we're going to start to hear more and more of these of those split moment decisions that were made that could have gone something entirely different could have happened. But you know, just because like, there was so much uncertainty, and I think we've heard maybe some of them, but I, I just because of how pervasive this was in our world, we certainly haven't heard all of them. And so I think that will be really, it'll be really interesting. And Jerry, for you and your colleagues in academia, there's going to be lots of opportunities for case studies and incorporation into materials in the future, because this was a, unfortunately a live experiment in, in management, education, decision-making, leadership, et cetera. And I think it's, we're only just starting to see the, the and I think it's going to be an exciting time to be in business school as a result. It to mm -hmm. be if the listeners do end up making the decision to go back to be able to be on the front line yeah. as as we're processing this, I think would be very exciting. So before we go, I want to uh, end this just with so we've talked about how technology is changing uh, the way we live, work, and operate, and how businesses and or specifically managers and people need to evolve. We've talked about how COVID has accelerated that. And we've talked about how change and transformation is only going to get more constant. And what I'd love to maybe hear from maybe both of you from your perspective within the context of career planning 
in career development for MBA students or MBA grads, how would you advise or how would you have them think about that knowing what we just have talked about in terms of what the world of work is looking like right now or could look like even in a couple months? How do you think of how would you advise someone to think about career development, career planning, things like that? And I'll start with Jerry, because I'm sure you first to because I'm sure you have some of these conversations with students. Yeah, it goes back to but it goes back to what An said that it, it's still just disruption that mm-hmm. it's been happening, whether it's acute, whether it's chronic, it's been happening for a long time. And the solution before and now that I tell students is make sure you're in an environment where you can keep learning new skills and you may not stay forever or you move within the organization. So just make sure you find a job that will set you up for your next job. And you should be thinking two to three steps down the road and saying, what can this position give me that will set me up along a career path that I'm interested in and chart out two or three paths of I'm a firm believer is luck is opportunity met by preparation. And if you have a couple of of opportunities that would be good for you and you jump on the one that comes up, that's the offer you can't refuse, being prepared for that opportunity is the way to go. Yeah, Jerry, I wholeheartedly agree with that concept. And it's actually what I advise to to my team members and to people I encounter in the workplace is something very similar. I think it's very difficult to, maybe a long time ago, a number of decades ago, you could have said, I'm going to be X, Y, Z and go out there and do it and climb the corporate ladder. And there was a pretty clear path. I think now it's less, and to Jerry's point, sometimes you have opportunities that you didn't know would have popped up. So how do you be prepared for them? And I do strongly believe it's about seeking opportunities that will continue to let you build your skill set for the things that you want to be known for, the things that you want to learn, for the things that you want to do for your future job. So the moment you stop learning is when you start have to ask, you need to start asking yourself, what am I doing? What should my next step be? Because I feel like I'm no longer learning anything in this role. I think that's great. And I think that's a great place to end. Again, Ann Phillips, a researcher, author, and management consultant at Deloitte Consulting, and Professor Jerry Kane, the faculty director of the Edmund J. H.J. Center for Entrepreneurship and a professor of information systems at Boston College and the co-authors of The Technology Fallacy, as well as the upcoming book, The Transformation Myth. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing your thoughts, and for hopefully inspiring my audience to navigate a complex and changing workplace. Thank you. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.